This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Michael Hyatt's new business growth webinar, How to Scale Your Business Revenue While Working Less. You can sign up today at leadto.win slash webinar. Hi, I'm Megan Hyatt Miller, and this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. The subject of this episode is vital for every working spouse out there, particularly women, but also their spouses. We're talking about how to be a senior executive or leader and a mom at the same time. So for you guys in the audience, please stay tuned because this episode is for you too. The things your partner faces affect the whole family. So there's some great learning here for everybody, working women and spouses both. So I'm joined today by one of my favorite executive moms, our chief marketing officer and co-host of the Focus on This podcast, Courtney Baker. Hey, Courtney. Hey, Megan. Thanks for having me today. I'm so glad that you're here. This is going to be fun. Yeah, this is a topic I am really passionate about. Um, and I, I know you put the disclaimer for men out there, but I also want to put the disclaimer for women that don't have children. Oh, yes, I agree. Yeah, it's because I think a lot of these things will help you as you think forward in your life. And even if you don't have children, some of these things are still going to be challenges for you. Yeah, Absolutely. So today, obviously, we're talking about how to balance both and how to be in relationship with your spouse. And for a lot of you ladies out there that are leaders, you're leaders of people, you, at the end of the day, you're exhausted. You come home and the first thing that happens is, mom, what are we having for dinner? (laughs) Mom, where are my shoes for soccer? Mom, mom, mom. And it just keeps going. It's like you never got a break. There was no transition from work to home. Mm, I totally agree. I mean, it can just be exhausting, even if you have a strong partner. I mean, there's just there's just a lot of pressure. We're really going to get into that today, but it's it's a lot. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not easy. And I think that's what we need to to remind ourselves. It's not easy. And so we need a way to kind of navigate through that. That's right. So we do believe that there's a way to win at work and succeed at life. And today we're going to show you the three essentials of that equation. And men, you have an interest in this too. If your wife is an executive or um, a professional, this information is going to be totally relevant to you as well. And to help us have that conversation is our very own Larry Wilson. Hey, Larry. Hey, I, I was going to say, hey, guys, but that doesn't seem really appropriate today. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, folks. Yeah. Hey, well, I am... Uh, Pleased to be here with both of you, but I have a question for you as we begin, you know, because I I think there are a lot of guys out there who may be thinking, you know, well, I'm an executive dad. That's not an easy role for me also. Um, how is this specifically a topic for women? So I think as women, we feel like the CEO of the family, even if our spouse is a huge partner, which mine is, thankfully, and Megan, yours is as well. Um, And another factor for that, if you're a male executive, you may or may not have a spouse that is working outside of the home, which also changes the the dynamic in a huge way. Right. Kind of like in the old model of this, you would have a stay-at-home wife, you know, very often, like in the kind of more traditional model, which forget like your opinions about whether or not that's fair or what, you know, where you come down on that. It was at least efficient. I mean, and I think what it says is there are two full-time jobs to do probably more than two full-time jobs. Yeah. And once we get into a situation where we have two professionals, which we talked about in our last episode, um, in a, in a household now, all of a sudden, um, very often you default 
default to the wife or the mom being an executive, but also taking responsibility for running the home, which now you have someone with two full-time jobs. Right. It's like as we, as culture, you know, changed and we have a lot of households with two working individuals in Mm -hmm. the home, we've still kept this default of all of those um, roles that were previously someone at home still being roles for a woman. I know. And I think that's how we end up with this whole cultural myth of we can do it all. I mean, first of all, I think we feel like unconsciously that we have to do it all. I mean, the kids have to get to soccer and the dentist and their, you know, well child appointments and the school appointments and all that kind of stuff. Um, But then we see people who are uh, kind of touting this ideal of like, oh, I can do the Pinterest birthday parties at school and I can lead my executive <laughs> team. And I mean, the Pinterest gets me to no end because it's just not reality. Totally. You know? Yeah. I mean, and it's the same thing with Instagram. It's just like what we see of people's lives. It looks like they can do it all. And what we're saying is, yeah, you that's not possible. You can't do it all. You can't. Period. And this is the setup for guilt and shame. I mean, I think whenever I talk to my professional friends, the thing that comes up for all of us um, at some level, depending on what season of life we're in, is a sense of I'm failing or I dropped the ball on that. I'm doing really well in these few areas of my life, but this thing I feel like I'm not getting. Um, and we so fixate on the thing that we're not doing well um, that can just become kind of a shame snowball if we don't we don't check it. Yeah, absolutely. It's like we just, again, we mentioned this earlier. It's like we just move from one workplace to another workplace. Yes. And it's such it a good way to say it can all bleed into one another. And then you feel shame and failure and it just trickles in that you've just never got a space. Have you ever had that thing happen where, um, you're driving home from work and I don't know, I know you have a little bit more of a commute than I do, but you get home and, you know, you certainly haven't been in the car an hour to transition. Yeah. You get home and like you said at the beginning, you know, your kids run up to you and they start asking you questions and you have that weird like out of body experience of like you're not where you just were, but you're not at home yet either. Yeah. It's like your brain is still turning away from all the things that happened mm-hmm. during the day. And so your mind is literally still back at work, but your body is at home. Uh, and it's tough. And actually, you and I, neither one of us have a very long commute at all. No. Maybe that's one of our secrets. Ladies, get closer <laughs> to your workplace. That's right. It helps. But the, the downside is you have to make a transition plan when you get home, which we'll talk about later. So, so true. But, the, you know, the thing is nobody can be super mom. And we've, we've talked about that earlier. The reason that I love Michael Hyatt Company so much is that message of you can win at work and succeed at life. And I think for a lot of women listening, that's the reason they were attracted to this podcast, to Michael Hyatt Company. It's been a really refreshing message to hear that that can be possible. That's definitely true for me. And I think the payoff is that we can finally stop feeling guilty when we leave work and stress when we get home. And this is the most important part. We can be fully present in both of our roles, whether it's as a professional or an executive and as a mom. And very often we feel like we can't be present at either. And so we're going to show you how to do that today um, with these three essentials for success. That brings us to essential number one, define the win at work and at home. So I think one of the keys before you start talking about defining your win at work and at home is to figure out where the expectations um, are coming from, because they're coming from all different directions. You've got your family and how you were raised, um, how you saw your parents um, play this out in their lives. You've got 
your own marriage and how your spouse expects your role to be because they also grew up with their own parents right? could have done things totally different. Um, You've got culture, you know, just this invisible voice that's constantly Mm -hmm. speaking to us. You've got um, your religious tradition. If you are religious, Um, you have your work and the people that you're with day in and day out and what their expectations of success are. And then obviously we have our own self and our own expectations that we've thought for ourselves. Right. Some of which we're not even aware of, you know, we've kind of put on ourselves, like you said. Um, But I think it's important to remember we can't do it all. We've said that already. You know, it's not possible to be superwoman. You are not going to be able to do um, any more than you can do 100% of the things you need to have done in your business. You're not going to be able to do 100% of the things that need to be done in your home or your family. So you're going to have to start thinking in the category of how do I define Uh, this idea of success on my own terms. And I think that starts with asking, what do I want from my career? You know, most of us have asked that question, you know, in some form or fashion. So we have a vision for our professional life or our business and our role in that. Um, But I think too often we haven't asked that question at home. What matters to you as a professional mom when you think about the contribution that you want to have to your family? And that was a big turning point for me when I asked that question. Um, I remember kind of this moment when I realized that um, I wasn't going to be able to do it all. My kids had some significant needs. I have um, two of my five children. uh, Well, three of my five children are adopted, but two of them were adopted at the same time from Uganda. And when they came home, they had some uh, challenges that they needed to have special care for, um, special time and attention. And it was really clear to me very quickly that business as usual, both literally and figuratively, was not going to work for me. And I had to make some hard decisions. And uh, one of the things things that became very clear to me was, you know, those uh, school activities like Pinterest parties and volunteering at school, those were not things I could afford to do. And certainly if that's what you love and that's part of how you define your win, that's great. Um, But for me, it wasn't. What I needed was to be home when my kids got home from school. I needed to prioritize family dinner and connection. That for me, family dinner is kind of like my number one priority as a family. Um, And again, this is all subjective based on your vision for your family. Uh, But that was my own definition of success. And I think as women, we have to do that for ourselves. Yeah, I I think one thing you said that is so key is we, that is your own set of priorities. Right. And we, I think as women, we really easily will opt in to what other people have decided are their priorities should also be my priorities. So I think as you're asking yourself those questions, you've got to be really in tune with yourself. If my co-host Blake was here right now, he would like submarine down for a deep moment, but it really (laughs) is like how to be really in tune with who we are, what we want, what our desires are. And that that's difficult. It is difficult. And and in order to do that, you have to let go of guilt because you're going to be saying no to doing a lot of things that other people think are important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, A lot of people will say that, you know, you need to be doing this if you're a good parent. Your kids need to be enrolled in the, you know, most aggressive, ambitious sports, you know, if you really want them to have a great future. Um, You know, you can have your own opinion on that. Personally, that's not my opinion. So that's not where we've chosen to invest as a family. Um, But that's an external value that somebody else has that I had to choose to say, that's not a priority for us. Right. You know, one key for me when I ask these two questions of myself is actually to go 10 years in the future. Ooh, that's so good. And think back on it. You know, Mm -hmm. actually, I really struggled early in my career 
And I was kind of pumping the ambition break early before I even had children because I thought, how am I going to do all this? It feels, I was already overwhelmed in just the work side. How do I actually, how could I be successful? So you're kind of like throttling what you wanted even then professionally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And somebody really wise said, I want you to think 10 years ahead and think back on what you would have liked to have happened. Because I just felt this external pressure that I should want to just be a mom. And that mm. I shouldn't want a career. Yeah. But because I played it out in the future and looked back, I was like, no, I love doing what I get to do every day. And that's important to me. It may not be everyone's decision, but for me, it was the right decision. Mm-hmm. I think that's really helpful. I have a question for you both. You know, we talk so much here at Michael Hyatt and Company about writing things down, write your goals and write your big three for the day. Have you actually written down your vision for what matters most at home? I've done it in probably a more informal way than that. I don't know that I've done it in some kind of formal statement, um, but I've definitely done it in journaling exercises and through other kind of writing projects that I've had. Um, You know, for for me, what I want as kind of the big umbrella is I want to be present for my kids and how that looks, how that gets expressed in my family is that when my kids get home from school, this is flexing a little bit right now with um, being in newborn baby land, but everything is flexing with that. (laughs) By the way, if you have a newborn baby or have had one somewhat recently, you remember that. But, um, but generally speaking, I want to be present for my kids when they get home from school so I can hear about their day. And I want to be present um, at dinner. And that doesn't necessarily even mean that I'm making dinner. It just means that we are sitting at the table. We do this thing called the gratitude report where our kids share the thing that they're most grateful for and what was the best part of their day. Um, and that is like the kind of cornerstone of our family time and is really important to me. So how do you define the win? Yeah, I think mine is similar in the sense that I want to be totally present at both places. Um, when I'm at work, I want to be able to be fully present. I don't want to feel guilt that I'm at work. And then when I get home, I want to be totally present um, with my husband and with my daughter. I want to feel like I'm not checking my phone, that I'm not, my brain isn't still at work, that I have totally checked out um, and that I have a really clear set of boundaries of time that I spend with them each day. So for you both, where do these external expectations feel the strongest? Is it from family, from in-laws, from neighbors? Where do you feel the pressure? I think in my case, I'm fortunate in that um, my mother-in-law was a professional and she's recently retired, but she was a professional. And so I think she probably had a bigger view of this and, you know, more inclusive view than she might've. So I think that that really hasn't created tension, but I mean, I would say where I feel pressure is other moms. Oh yeah. My story is very similar. My mother-in-law is also a professional. She still um, is an executive assistant today. Um, So she really understands a lot of the things that I deal with, but I absolutely agree that a lot of times the pressure comes from other mothers. Okay. I have to tell you a story, Courtney. I feel like you're going to appreciate this. So as I was thinking about this podcast, I was trying to remember some of these moments when this kind of like push came to shove and my husband, Joel and I were trying to figure some of this out. Um, not too long after I had become the chief operating officer here. And at the time, one of our kids was in kindergarten and we had decided that I was going to drop the kids off in the morning and he was going to pick them up in the afternoon. It just was kind of what worked for our schedule at that point. We had kind of a different arrangement good, good point that everything has to change seasonally, you know, as your life changes. 
changes. But anyway, I, I one time um, we, we flip-flopped. He had a meeting or something, and so I went to go pick up the kids in the afternoon. And the teacher came up to the car in the car line, and she said, oh, Megan, it's, it's so good to see you. We were just – we were really worried because we hadn't seen you in a while. And I was like, what? I drop the kids off every day. Of course, you don't see anybody when you drop kids off. Right, you know, there's usually right. one person out there. And I thought her expectation is that good moms pick their kids up from school. Even though my husband and I were equally dividing it up, she was judging me kind of in a funny, implicit way for not being the one to pick up my children. And it really kind of was a gut punch. You know, I remember going home to Joel and saying, I mean, am I, am I failing? Is this arrangement that we have not good? Or are the kids going to be damaged because of this? And he was like, right. no, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was totally dismissive of it. Like it's not a big deal. But I actually think that other women are often um, the culprit in this sense of guilt and shame. And the tension often between stay-at-home moms and working moms can be a big deal. And frankly, working moms do this to stay-at-home moms too, you know. Oh. Absolutely. Instead of instead mm-hmm. of creating enough space where everybody gets to make the best choice for their season of life and their family and all that. Um, and it ugh, it's terrible. Oh, totally. I'm really fortunate that I have two best friends. One um, is a working mom and one is a stay at home mom. And I have just been blessed over and over again that we have really taken down that sense of judgment. Um, and we've been able to collaborate in ways that I feel like would be so beneficial for women on both sides of that story, um, to really celebrate each other and the choice that we each get to make. I love that. I think one other interesting part of that is on the flip side. Um, one of my friends, he told me a story about he has three children and he was taking them all to the grocery store to pick something up. And several women stopped him and were like, oh, you're such a great dad. And of course he is. But they went over the top to celebrate something that most women do you know, on the regular. And so it's just an interesting dynamic that I think just awareness of is so helpful. It's a great story. Yeah. I this, <laughs> this, this, like, this no, is I, I could keep going. Yeah. Like, oh, I like, we're trying to stop, but I have so many it, opinions. I can affirm that, Courtney. It is amazing uh, how much praise I've received for doing the simplest things like doing dishes and mentioning that in public and what a great husband you are because you <laughs> or, did the dishes one. I was time. wondering why you told me that every time you came to the office. <laughs> or it's like Joel is so great for for keeping the kids, for babysitting the kids. I'm like, they're his kids. They're not not babysitting. babysitting. No one is getting paid in this scenario. He's parenting. Hey, everybody. Mike Boyer here. Thank you to Scoop Miser, who left these comments about the podcast on iTunes. I can't recommend this podcast enough. Informative, insightful, entertaining, and applicable to anyone looking to improve in all facets of life. I look forward to the new episode like a kid on Christmas Eve waiting for Santa. Thanks, Larry, Megan, and Michael. You're welcome, Scoop, and thanks for the good words. And thanks to all of you who have left a rating or review of the podcast. It really does help get the word out. If you haven't done so already, you can rate the program right now. If you're not sure how to do that, check the Rate and Review podcast link at lead2.win. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And now, back to the show. Essential number one, define the win at work and at home. That brings us to essential number two, which is to negotiate explicit agreements with your spouse. 
Yeah, we actually talked about this in the last episode Joel and I did about how to have two successful careers in one happy home. So if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, that's the subject of the entire uh, thing. So I recommend you do that. But Courtney, what do you think about this? Oh, I, I could not express how key this has been for my husband, Chase, and I, that we have really sat down and talked through how this is going to work for us on a day in and day out to a really minute level. Um, and it has been absolutely game changing for us. I agree. Joel and I've done the same thing. You know, first of all, I think you have to agree if you have children that you're going to co-parent. Okay. This is like a big idea. Either, either you haven't thought about this, in which case it's a big idea, or maybe this is like no big deal because you've already thought about it. Regardless, the idea of co-parenting, particularly when you have two professionals in a marriage, is that there is no primary parent. There's not going to be a default parent. You are both equally responsible for your children. And we were just talking off the air, kind of laughing about how uh, funny and ridiculous it is when people say, you know, to dads, oh, you're so good for babysitting the kids. You know, it's like, yeah. you're not babysitting. They're your children. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you're just parenting. And when you co-parent with your spouse, um, first of all, it's an amazing partnership. Your kids get the benefit of two really present, really involved, really committed people. Um, and they have the benefit of those two role models. So I think it's not only good for a uh, practical division of labor, but it's also good for your marriage and for your kids. Megan, I'd like to add to that. There's actually some really good research uh, behind that. It turns out that kids have better social skills and higher academic results when both their parents play with them and help out with homework and when the family eats together. So that co-parenting, co-involvement, super beneficial for children. It really is. And by the way, if you study this historically, this idea of one primary parent and, you know, dad goes away all day while mom's taking care of the kids, that is a post-industrial revolution convention. Before that, when we were kind of in an agricultural culture, Kids are with both parents all day. They might be out in the fields or in the kitchen or in the garden, but they had the benefit of two parents most of the time throughout history. You know, so this is like mm. a fairly recent thing that's happened. And I think we've all been losers because of it, because there's so much that kids need from both of their parents to have the benefit. Um, you know, if, if you're fortunate enough to have a two parent family, to have two parents really hands on parenting the kids is great. That's awesome. So I think as you're kind of talking about this with your spouse, there's a couple of questions that you could talk through. The first is, you know, what do our kids need? And we've talked about this a lot, but this is not what our other parents doing. Right. That's not the question. It's what do your children need? And your children are unique and so are you. And so that needs to be part of the conversation. Uh, the next question you could use is what matters most to us as parents? And then what are the limitations we face? And lastly, how can we partner on these responsibilities? Yeah. And like we talked about last time, you've got to agree on how you're going to manage your home. And in the last episode, we talked about this idea that it's not about fairness, which is really all about accounting. It's about equality and equity, which is about balance. You know, that what we're looking for is kind of like if you looked at it on a trend line, there's balance between the two of you and how you share responsibilities, even though on a day-to-day -day basis, it's not going to be exactly 50-50. You know, you're going to negotiate this in ways right. that are relevant to your responsibilities and season of life and all that. Yeah. And I, I think it's really key as you kind of go into these questions to try to really take out 
the gender based roles or Absolutely. how you've had those set in your head. I think if you do that, you're it's, you're probably not going to be as successful as you could be if you can really come to the table and look at it almost like you would a work project. Totally, you know, we've got this work to do. Who is going to do it and who's, who's the, the best, best person to do, to do it? it. Yep. Um, also, Courtney, it's so important that you revisit these agreements on how you're going to divide things up periodically, even regularly, I would say. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, as you both have uh, you know, a new job that comes up or like in our case, have a new baby. I mean, we have totally had to rethink everything. Um, Joel said in our last episode that our daughter, Naomi, our new baby is like a domino, you know, like there's just a whole chain reaction of things that have happened with her arrival that we've had to renegotiate and rethink. Um, and that's required a, a lot of partnership and a lot of conversation around what works now, because what used to work and what we had kind of been in for years, which it was very successful, does not apply anymore. And just to add to that, I mean, my husband Chase and I actually have our roles and responsibilities for every night and morning written on a board in our wow. kitchen. And we actually revisited it last night. I mean. Okay. What changed? Like were there big ahas? Yeah. I mean, it basically, I was like, <laughs> this feels a little, this feels a little nitpicky, but I think it illustrates like to what level we're talking about. Um, but I always load the dishwasher at night and start it. Like that's something that I do. And he always, um, unloads it in the morning and on paper that seems like, you know, equitable. equitable. Um, but at night it was taking me so long cause we were cooking these meals and like just stuff was everywhere. And so at night, like he would be, you know, in bed reading and I would be slaving away <laughs> still cleaning the kitchen and this I was is like, not working. Hey, um, is there any way we could revisit this list? And we were able to do it in a way because it's just, you know, it's just black and white in a lot of ways. I was like, can we talk about maybe changing a couple of these? Because I feel like I'm spending a lot more time here and, you know, there are some other things that I would like to get to. And uh, actually, we laughed a lot. Um, so there are definitely ways to do these and have the conversations in a really successful, fun, lighthearted way that everybody wins. What a great example. Courtney, you remind me of the book Fair Play by Eve Rodsky, and she organizes this, this very topic around a deck of cards. Uh, and she calls it the 100 Cards of Fair Play, and they're arranged into four suits like the home suit, the caregiver suit, and a couple of others. And then each one has uh, a whole set underneath it that adds up to 100 with very specific uh, things like uh, bathing and grooming the kids or doing the dishes, as you say. And the idea is to make it visual so that you can both see clearly who owns what, and then you can trade or renegotiate as needed. That is really cool. Yeah, I love that. I think you would have to be careful if you are a female executive and you feel like your arrangement maybe by default is not really equitable and you're going to now kind of initiate this conversation. you got to be careful that as you step into that, um, you really assume positive intent. You know, you're on the same page about you trust that the other person has your best interest at heart. And if you have if you have that kind of foundation of high trust, I think for some men, they're not even aware of how much has to be done to run a family. I, I was about to say, men out there, listen up. This is the way to score enough brownie <laughs> points for the next three years. Whatever these cards are, bring them home. Your wife is going to be like, 
all mush. You're going to have her. I mean, just to even start this conversation, honestly. Yes. I love that idea. That's a great idea. And and honestly, whether or not, if you're uh, a man listening and your wife maybe doesn't work outside the home, this is still a relevant conversation. You know, so, but it makes it visual because then all of a sudden you can see, Oh my gosh, she has, um, you know, 75 cards and I have 25 and that clearly doesn't make sense. So we got to rethink this a little bit. So can we link to that, Larry, in the show notes? Yeah. Oh yeah. We'll put that in. Great. So essential number one, define the, the win at work and at home. Essential number two, negotiate explicit agreements with your spouse. And that brings us to essential number three, Initiate intentional self-care practices. Ooh, I love this topic because it's critically important, and I think nobody feels like they have it in the bag, especially professional women. I mean, your, your time is just so tight, and I think we get a lot of pressure from the media and just kind of out there in the atmosphere that we're supposed to be like doing this thing called self-care and that that's somehow mission critical for us to do what we want to do at home and at work. Um, but it can be very elusive. Courtney, what's been your experience with that? Yeah, I think it's it goes back to kind of that guilt, especially you know, for women, we feel like there are just all these things we should be doing that we don't even allow ourselves to have time for ourselves, And to be really intentional about that takes a lot of work. And I, I think one of the things for me that I always start with is having boundaries at home. You know, one thing that I find really hard for me is when I try to do both things in the same space. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, if I'm trying to work at home and my daughter is downstairs, even if she's with, you know, someone that's taking care of her, there's just, for me, and this isn't everybody, I just mentally have a really hard time because I'm like, I should be down there playing, even though I'm trying to work or vice versa. You know, it's just, for me, that was a boundary I had to set. When I come home, I am home. And when I am at work, I am at work. And mentally and physically, I try to connect those as much as possible. That's a really good point. Um, You know, I think we have two things going on with self-care that can be problematic. One is that we get this pressure that we're, our self-care is supposed to be part of our superwoman <laughs> complex, you know, that we're supposed to go work out and do CrossFit for an hour and a half. And we're supposed to be regularly having spa days and we're supposed to be regularly out having girls nights and all these things. And it can just feel crushing. Like another job right. is your self-care. And that's completely defeats the purpose. Um, or it can feel like you don't give yourself permission to take care of yourself. And either one of those are really problematic. Um, I like to think of it as, first of all, it's got to be relevant to the season of life you're in. You know, if you are an empty nester, you're a professional woman who's an empty nester, this is going to look completely different for you than if you just came back from maternity leave with a new baby. Don't ask me how I know this. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you have school age children who you drop off at school at 730 or 8 in the morning. I mean, these are all very different seasons of life. And if you take somebody else's idea of self-care and try to superimpose it in your situation, you're going to just feel like you're failing all the time. And it's terrible. I think the thing that's been really revolutionary for me is my rituals. Yeah, me too. You know, and and those do change for me, but that is where I've really been able to establish how I'm going to take care of myself. And 
I think in the most stressful seasons of life, the time that we really especially need self-care, those rituals can kind of go by the wayside. And for me, over and over again, I just hold hold to those, even if they need to change. And or, they often do. And they do. And they need to be shorter or different, but still holding on to something, even if it's five minutes. I agree. And by the way, if you don't know what we're talking about, this is a concept that comes out of the Free to Focus book that my dad wrote and also the Full Focus Planner. So inside the Full Focus Planner is a place for you to build your uh, morning and evening rituals and also your workday startup and shutdown rituals. And the idea here is that you want to have good transitions, that you want to create space for the things that matter but that again, these are relevant to you, to your season of life. So for example, in my case, when we brought Naomi home, I had a much more elaborate morning ritual that I used to you know, do. I mean, those were, that seems like a distant memory. <laughs> um, but now what I do is while I'm feeding her, cause that the way that Joel and I've divided things up, he's uh, doing some things with the kids, getting them ready in the morning and I feed her. And while I'm feeding her, I uh, read my devotional, which takes me about five minutes and I fill out my full focus planner for the day. She usually goes to sleep at some point in there and that works out well. And so that's probably 15 minutes is my morning ritual. I then um, also go on a walk later and the way we've worked that out is while Joel's taking the kids to school, he also takes Naomi so that I have about 35 to 40 minutes to walk. I mean, but, but that's like really basic in real life, but that's my self-care. Yeah. I love that. And I love that you and Joel seem like you really advocate for each yes, other to we do. have that. Um, and again, regardless if you are a man or a woman listening, this is something you can advocate for your spouse. Like, Hey, you know, tonight, would you like to opt out of this thing that you were going to do and Go take a walk. Right. You know, talk about some brownie points. I'm giving all the men all the brownie points. I know. We're yeah. making it easy for you guys. Yeah, come on. Joel and I actually just last week, we realized that it was time to overhaul this at another level. And we created a Google Calendar for the time that we spend at home, kind of this ideal week concept that mm-hmm. is also in the Full Focus Planner. Usually we think about that relative to work. You know, how do you time block uh, your days at work so that you can mega batch, as we call it, um, your most important tasks and priorities so you get a lot of efficiency? Well, sometimes we don't think enough about what is happening outside of work. And we realized that if we were going to both exercise, if we were both going to have time to ourselves, we were going to get the rejuvenation that we needed to kind of meet the high demands of our life that we really needed to figure it out on a schedule, kind of like a budget. And we did it. And it was um, it was challenging in a way to get to those answers. It felt like there wasn't enough time, but we did figure it out. And I think there's a new level of alignment and support for each other on the other side of that, because while our intentions were supportive before, we didn't really have the practical part figured out. Right. And figuring out the practical part enables us to really kind of get behind that intention with action and support each other. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so Courtney, one other thing that I would be remiss if I didn't mention is that you have to give yourself grace around self-care because you're not always going to do what you plan to do. You know, you're going to have uh, a situation where the baby is uh, not sleeping through the night or one of your kids is sick or you had to travel or you came home late from a trip um, or there was an activity at church. Something is going to disrupt your plans. That is just life. And we need to anticipate that and not fight it and not feel rigid or like we're failing. We need to kind of make room for life to happen. So in my mind, self-care, you know, when I 
when I fill out in my full focus planner each week in the new editions of the full focus planner, there's a self-care planner that um, asks you what you're going to do in the coming week around rest and nutrition and movement and connection and relaxation, just like really basic five categories. And I always have a plan for that. I love that because it keeps it top of mind. But I probably hit 80% of that on a pretty good week. You know, I never hit 100% because I mean, what do I hit 100% of in my life? It's just not reality. Well, today we have learned that every executive mom can win at work and succeed at life by locking in three essentials for success. Define the win at work and at home, negotiate explicit agreements with your spouse, and initiate consistent self-care practices. So Megan and Courtney, final thoughts for our listeners. Yeah, I know I mentioned earlier how important I think this is also for women that may not be married yet. Um, Maybe that's down the road for you. I think this is key to be thinking about these ahead of time, um, or if that's on the horizon to have these discussions early in your relationship, you know, that that would help to know that you've got a really supportive partner out of the gate. And I think we said this over and over again, I think grace is so key and to be really intentional and aware of what you want. No one else can tell you what you want. That's right. And it's hard work to get there sometimes. Um, and there are a lot of pressures. So I agree. you got it. You can do it. I totally it. agree. You can win at work and succeed at life. You can win at work and succeed at life. You can't do it all. You're not going to be superwoman. Um, that's impossible, but you can win at work and succeed at life. And you can uh, succeed at the things that matter most to you. If you'll think about it through the lens of these three essentials. Well, if I may, I'll add in a final thought of my own for the men out there. And it's this guys, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain by helping your wife succeed in both areas and both domains. So, Courtney and Megan, thank you for this very helpful episode today. Thanks, Larry. And thank you for joining us today. We'll see you right here next week. Until then, lead to win. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Michael Hyatt's new business growth webinar, How to Scale Your Business Revenue While Working Less. You can sign up today at lead2.win slash webinar.